Now, most of us, most of us think that worshipping God is a good thing, don't we? Uh, we think that it is good to go to church. We think that it's good to pray, good to read the Bible, good to uh, do other religious stuff, give money to charity. We, we feel like God likes that sort of stuff, don't we? That's why what Amos says in chapter 4 comes as a bit of a shock. Because in chapter 4 of this, of this book, Amos talks about worship that is not pleasing to God. Worship that is sinful. Worship that makes God angry. Here in Amos chapter 4, God looks at the worship of Israel and he says, you guys would have been better off going to the pub. You'd have been better off going to the footy. You'd have been better off doing anything than coming here and making me angrier. Your worship makes me mad, is what God says. Now, remember what we've seen so far in, uh, in Amos. Do you remember Amos started off by announcing God's judgment on the nations around Israel? He said they're sinful, God's going to judge them. But then he turned it up, up on its head. And he said to Israel, you've done exactly the same things as the nations around you. God's angry with you as well. And then do you remember last week? Amos started to deal with some of the excuses that Israel would have come up with. Excuses why they said God wasn't angry with them. Uh, one by one, Amos knocked down their excuses. Now in the rest of chapter 4, Amos picks up on this issue of Israel's worship. He mentioned it back in chapter 3, back in 3.14. He talked about how uh, God would destroy their altars of worship well, now he talks more about their worship. Let, let me give you a little bit of background about Israel's worship. In those days, Israel worshipped in special places. They were called high places because they were often high up on mountains, not always. Um, the two most famous high places in Israel were in the towns of Bethel in the south and Dan in the north. Um, they had set up some golden calves in those places to represent God and they would come and, and worship there. Another famous holy place was in Gilgal. Gilgal uh, was the place where Israel had come through the Jordan River as they entered the Promised Land and Joshua had set up an altar there. So some, uh, some famous religious places, Bethel, Gilgal and uh, Dan as well. Israel had their places of worship where they would gather to give tithes, so they'd give a tenth of their money for the work of God and they would offer sacrifices as well for their sins. And Israel thought this was a good thing to do. They thought this was something that God had told them to do. And apart from the golden calf pit, he had told them to do exactly these things, to offer sacrifices, to tithe. In fact, Israel thought as they were doing this, it was like an insurance policy against the anger of God. They thought, God's not angry with us. We're doing our religious duty. But that's not how God sees it. In chapter 4, verse 4, Amos gives a, a call to worship. A call to worship. He calls Israel, come to the high places, worship, but it's full of irony because instead of calling Israel to worship, he calls them to sin. Have a look with me. Amos chapter 4 and verse 4. Amos 4, 4. Go to Bethel and not worship. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. It's dripping with irony. And it must have come as a shock because God is saying to Israel, your worship is sin. Amos then talks about why their worship is so sinful. And the first thing he says, he says, it's, even though you come and do the right things, 
Even though you come and offer sacrifices, even though you come and offer your tithes, you're not doing it for God at all. You're doing it to impress each other. He says you're not honouring God. You're trying to get other people to honour you. Halfway through verse 4. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years, burn leavened bread as a thank offering, and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the Lord, the sovereign Lord. Israel are doing plenty of religious stuff, but it's a farce. They're not engaging with God. It's not about God, it's about them. They're not meeting with God. They're messing with God. Jesus said similar stuff to this, didn't he? Jesus said similar things. On your outline there, I've put some of what Jesus said from Matthew chapter 6. You see it there on the left-hand side. Jesus said, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it'll be not, it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That was the first problem with Israel's worship. They weren't honouring God. They were trying to get other people to honour them. Second thing. The second thing that Amos says about Israel's worship that makes it sinful, that makes God angry, he says, Israel have never, they've never returned to God. They've never been genuinely sorry for their sin. They've offered sacrifices, but they've never sincerely met with God in repentance and faith. Amos talks about how God sent disaster after disaster after disaster onto Israel, but, but none of it's worked. Israel have never returned to God. Verse 6, Amos chapter 4 and verse 6. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. 
I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Just notice there again, like we saw last week, that God sends disaster. It doesn't say he allowed it. It says he sent it. Sent it as a judgment. And sent it as a call to return to him. Again, Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? Uh, he, said that, uh, he? He said that disasters don't necessarily happen because of any specific sin. People who suffer in disasters are not necessarily any more sinful than anyone else. But disasters should always function as a call to repentance. On your outline there, I've put uh, what Jesus said from Luke's Gospel. He was talking about some people who were tragically killed. And this is what he said. He said, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. No. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you too will all perish. When God sends disasters, it should be like a wake-up call. It should make us return to him. But in Israel's case, it didn't work. They didn't return to God. They were worshipping with their actions. They were worshipping with their words. They were even throwing their money at it, worshipping with their money, but their hearts weren't in it. They didn't genuinely meet with God in repentance and faith. Again, they weren't meeting with God. They were messing with God. And so now God says, he says, you won't meet with me? Tell you what, I'll meet with you. I'll meet with you. He's just talked in verse 11 about overthrowing Sodom and Gomorrah. Now he says to Israel, I'm going to do the same to you. Get ready to meet your God, verse 12. Therefore, this is what I'll do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And then Amos, Amos finishes the chapter with like a, just a brief snapshot of who God is. A brief description of, of God. This is the God who Israel claimed to worship while in fact they're actually trying to impress other people. This is the God who they have failed to return to. This is the God who they, who they are not fair dinkum about, who they won't meet with in repentance and faith. This God is the creator of the world. This God has revealed himself to them in his word. This God sustains them from the moment they wake up in the morning until the moment they go to bed at night. He is the one who is there, present at the high places where they're doing their hypocritical, sinful, pretend worship. He's there. He is the Lord. He is God. He is the almighty general of the angelic armies. This is not a God you mess with. Verse 13. He who forms the mountains, creates the wind, and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth. The Lord, God, Almighty is his name. 
Israel's worship isn't pleasing to God. It's no protection from his anger. In fact, it just makes him angrier. It is a farce. They are coming before the God of the universe trying to impress each other. They are coming before the God who sustains their every moment and they are not fair income. They've never returned to him. Amos says, God's had it with you. You're in deep, deep trouble. I wonder, I wonder, do you think it's possible that our worship is ever sinful? Do you think it's possible that instead of meeting with God, we are sometimes messing with God? Do you think it's possible that sometimes we would actually be far better off being someone else, somewhere else rather than here? Because what we're doing here just makes God angrier. Of course, our worship's not exactly the same as Israel's. As Christians, we don't come to a high place. We don't offer tithes and sacrifices, do we? Jesus has offered the sacrifice we need. He's died on the cross as a sacrifice. He's risen again from the dead. Also, our sin can be paid for so we can be forgiven, so we can be rescued from God's anger, so we can come confidently into the presence of God, so we can meet with God Our worship is different to Israel's. We we come into God's presence through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are some similarities. There are some similarities. Like Israel, we do gather together in God's name to worship him. Of course, worship's got to be more than that for both Israel and for us. Uh, we're, We're called to worship God as they were with all of our lives. We're going to sing that later and we're going to talk more about it next week. That It's got to reflect all the rest of our lives. But, but we do gather together for worship like Israel did. We gather to listen to God's word, to praise him for what he's done, to encourage each other, to give of our money like Israel. We gather for worship. And, and through Jesus, we actually meet Israel's God. We meet the same God Israel did. The God who forms the mountains. The God who creates the wind. The God who reveals his thoughts to man, who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God Almighty, that is the same God who you are meeting with here today. And friends, he is not to be messed with. Do you notice that in our second reading today? Do you notice the way the second reading worked? It talked about kind of the awesomeness of Mount Sinai. And then it said, you think that was scary? You ain't seen nothing if you come to church. You gather to the God of the universe, to the heavenly Zion, to, to thousands upon thousands of angels, to, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. You gather before the God of the universe himself. And it finishes off. I've just put the last bit of it on your outline there. Let's be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence, that is fear and awe, For our God is a consuming fire. This God we meet with through Jesus is not to be messed with. He is our creator. He sustains our every second. He has revealed himself to us through his son and his word. He is present here with us by his spirit. He sees you every second and he sees through your actions 
and he sees through your words and he sees through your pretense and he sees right to your heart and your motive. You sit before him this morning completely exposed. He is the king who deserves and demands your thanks and your praise. He is a consuming fire who will not tolerate hypocritical pretense. I tell you what, you wouldn't want to be pretending to worship this God. You wouldn't want to be making out that you're worshipping this God when in fact you're out to impress other people. You wouldn't want to be going through the religious motions without a heart that's genuinely turning from sin and trusting in Jesus. We all do it though, don't we? We all do it. We, we, we make both mistakes Israel made. We, we worship to be seen by men and we fail to fair and can return to God. Let's, let's reflect on both of these for a while. First, we, we worship to be seen by men. We, we care so much about what other people think of us, don't we? You can see it in a few ways. Uh, in some people, you see it by the fact that they won't step up and do anything religious in public. They won't pray in public. They won't read the Bible in public. They won't talk about Jesus in public. It's all private and, and hidden. Why, why are they like that? It's because they're worried about what other people think. Just the other day, I was meeting with a bloke, and I, 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 I prayed for him, and I said, you, you pray, you pray for me. And he said, oh, I couldn't pray, I'm, I'm too embarrassed, you pray. I said, mate, you're not praying to me. Who cares what I think? I've asked you to pray to God for me, not about me. It's about you and God, get over it, pray. Some people care so much about what other people think that they won't do anything religious in public. Fear of man. In other people, it comes out when we do our public worship. When we stand up to read the Bible or pray or speak or sing or play an instrument or give our money, we're claiming to do it for God. In fact, the thing we're most worried about is what other people are thinking. Occasionally I'll learn something cool in my guitar class and then I get to do it in church. Uh, so for example, in class we learned the song It's Too Late by Carole King and there's this lovely chord change uh, from F major 7th and you slide up the neck to B-flat major 7th. It's got this butte slide up the neck of the guitar. It took me ages and ages to get it right. And then I discovered the same chord change in the song When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. <laughs> I tell you what, the other week when we played that song, I hit the chord change perfectly. And I was thinking, I hope everyone saw that. <laughs> Meanwhile, what were we singing? All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. We claim to be honouring God. In fact, what we want is for other people to honour us. It's true, isn't it? Runs very deeply in our nature. But, but I think the thing that really shows this up, the thing that, that just is the litmus test that, that shows 
whether our worship is directed towards God or directed towards other people, it comes back to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. It's what happens in secret. It's what happens when you're on your own. It's what happens when no one else is looking. It's what happens when there's no other people to impress, when it's just you and God. Are you like me? Do you... uh, Do you find it much easier to do religious stuff when you've got an audience? I mean, it's good for us to be accountable to each other. Okay, if being with other people helps you to worship God and encourages you to do it more, great. That's that's what we're on about. It's part of why we gather together. It's easier to be a Christian in a team than on our own. It's important that we gather and worship together. God commands us to do it. He wants us to do it. But there's a danger, isn't there? There's a danger. Friends, God's worth your praise. God's worth your prayers. God's worth your money. God's worth listening to in his word. God's reward is worth having. What God thinks of you is actually very, very important. What other people think, who cares? And of course, they're not actually thinking about you at all. They're worried about what you think of them. It is not worth giving up God's praise for man's praise. But it's more than that, because just think about what we're doing. When we claim to be worshipping God, but in fact we're trying to impress people, what we are saying is other people's opinion matters more than God's. You know, we come to church and we sit in front of God and say to him, other people matter more than you. That's just a direct insult. And he hates the hypocrisy. And he's angry about it. And he says, just get away. Go and do something else, but stop making me mad. Friends, we've got to get real. We've got to get real in our private worship of God. We need to worship God when there's no other people to impress. And then when we do worship together, as we should, we need to be careful. We need to be here to praise God, not to have other people praise us. That was the first problem with Israel's worship. It was all about impressing other people. Second problem, second problem was that they never got fair income. They never returned to God. They never genuinely turned away from their sin. They never genuinely sought God's forgiveness. They never sincerely wanted to change and live God's way. They were unchanged by their worship. It's easy for us to do the same, isn't it? We get so caught up in the busyness of life like, the, like that thorny soil that Jesus talked about. We get uh, the, the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth. They, they fill up our lives. They choke out God's word. So we never bear fruit. We never, we never grow as fair income, Jesus-loving, Jesus-serving Christians. You know, sometimes it takes what God did to Israel to wake us up. Sometimes God will send bad things into our lives. Sometimes God will send disaster to stop us from proudly imagining that we've got it under control, to stop us from boastfully pretending that we've earned for ourselves the lovely lives that we have, to stop us from arrogantly assuming that we're the good people who deserve the blessing of God. Sometimes God sends tragedy. Sometimes he sends disaster. And friends, we need to listen. We need to heed the warning. 
We need to remember that every moment of our being is only given to us by the sheer grace, undeserved mercy of God. We need to keep on turning away from sin, keep turning to Jesus for forgiveness and grace. We've got to keep in step with God's spirit within us. We've got to get fed income about engaging with God in repentance and in faith. Of course, if we could do that in the good times as well as the bad, that would be even better, wouldn't it? Friend, when was the last time it happened for you? When was the last time you returned to God? When was the last time you, you earnestly repented of your sin and hated it and, and loved God and his ways so much more? When was the last time you, you cried out to Jesus, I really, really want you to forgive me? When was the last time you prayed to God and asked him to empower you by your spirit to love him as he deserves and you actually wanted that? You know, earlier in our time together today, you had the opportunity. You had the opportunity. We prayed a prayer of praise and confession to God. Was that something real for you? What was going on in your heart there? Were you engaging or were you distracted by other stuff? Were you, just, were you just going through the motions? In a moment, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. I hope that's going to be something real for you. i tell you what, i tell you what would be really, really terrible. i tell you what would be the ultimate tragedy. The ultimate tragedy. If we stood before God on that last day and it became clear that it's all been a farce. If we stood before God on that last day and it became clear that we'd never had a genuine relationship with him. If we stood before God on that last day and it became clear that we were so busy trying to impress other people with our religion, it was never about God. Or if we were so caught up in our own lives here that we'd never genuinely return to him. Have a look right at the end of your outline at this terrible picture that Jesus paints. I take this as not a hypothetical picture. I take it this is what will happen to some people on Judgment Day. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Lots of religion. But then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wouldn't that be the ultimate tragedy? to have spent your whole life coming to church, supposedly meeting with God, and all along you were just messing with him. All along you were just making him angrier. What a tragedy if at the last day that's what you heard from God. I never knew you. What a tragedy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God,
we are so deeply sinful and hypocritical. Even our worship of you is really about ourselves. Father, would you please work in us by your spirit and help us to get fair income with you. Help us to genuinely hate our sin. Help us to genuinely love you. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may give you rightful praise and honour that you deserve. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.